Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle, a Seattle Mariners podcast. I'm your host, Anders Jorstad, joined by my co-host, Mikey Ahedo, and we've got a special guest on today's show, MLB.com contributor, as well as baseball prospectus and Sabre writer, in addition to a number of other assorted bylines, Cleveland Guardians fan Pat Ellington Jr. Pat, thanks for joining us today. Um, thank you guys for having me. It's really good to be here, and um, really excited to talk to you guys. Um, I consider you guys kind of friends, so I'm looking forward to this. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've—I know you and I have followed each other on Twitter for a long time. We've talked about, you know, Guardians prospects, Guardians baseball. I think Mikey, you've known Pat for longer than that, haven't you? I'm not even sure. It's been a minute though, for sure. Like, yeah. uh, probably, it's been a couple of years, maybe two years now. Yeah, it's yeah. Been about two so, years. That's so a long time coming. Yep. Well, Pat, how did you become involved, kind of, in you know the baseball writing? thing in the first place um i know you've been writing at these places but it's been pretty recent for you right yeah so um i started writing about baseball in 2020 um i think and that's my first foray even um, working with you know journalism or even long pros long pros like that um my background as a writer um started out as an author um and then as novelist mainly um and short story writer when i was a kid and then I started writing screenplays and stuff when I was a teenager, and that's what I went to college for. And then um, when I was in college, I started writing about baseball, and that was in 2020, a couple of years ago. So um, right when the pandemic hit, so like February of that year, I started writing about baseball independently. And then um, people like my opinions and my writings on social media, and, and that's how we got here. Um, it's a I, quick ask come up. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be here without um, certain people. Though. Um, there's a lot of people that help me. You know, you guys, you guys know Shakia Taylor. Um, wouldn't be here without yeah. people like her. Um, Justin Lotto, Dad, Garnet, Hayes, Insider, um, many other people. Um, and even people like y'all just um, having y'all as peers and having y'all as support has been very important for me. So, so thank y'all. Yeah, for sure. Shakia's the goat. Um, we're yeah, we're is. hoping to to have her. We're hoping to have her. Um, on sometime but she's busy now because she she got that job with uh the tribune so um but yeah no i love shakia's work what was like your your inspiration for writing about baseball like what what was it about baseball that made you want to kind of get into this field specifically um so just to give some background on um my relationship with the game um i come from a baseball family um my great-grandfather played in the group leagues very briefly Um, oh wow and he was actually born the same year as Larry Doby and Jackie Robinson, which is 1923. And he passed away in, I think, 2015. I was like 16, 17 years old, but um, he was like 90, 93, I think. Um, 90, wow. No, 90. I can't remember. But um, he passed the game notes of my grandmother and the lovely game of my stories about them, about my grandfather, great grandfather taking her to games at Municipal Stadium and stuff in Cleveland. When she was a kid, and she used to background on family, we were all from Youngstown, Ohio, so um, it would be like hour drive to Cleveland. And um, so, for my my mom, um, and for our family, um, we we're all Guardians fans just because not just because of the proximity, but also um, the history that the team has with black players when it comes to guys like Larry Doby, Manny Minioso, Satchel Page, um, Toothpick mm-hmm. Sam Jones, um, Quincy Trope. Um, Frank Robinson, you think about those names, and then you, you include um, the generation of players come back to them, like, like you got Louis Tian Jr., 
um, James, James Muckhead Grant. Um, who else? Um, I think it's some, some other players from the 70s, and then you got all the black players from the 90s. And then you had CC Sabathia, and then you have Michael Brownlee, Francisco Mondor, and all the other black players that, that play for this franchise in this current era who have stood out. So, I mean, there's a lot of prominent history with that franchise has um, that kind of um, influenced my view. And also, my mom um, kind of used the game to help me understand um, what race was in America and other things like that um, based on. So, and also, um, she made me do a book report on such a page and I was like seven or eight years old. And my mom always kind of pushed me to, to, to writing and stuff. She recognized I like to read mm. stuff at an early age. So that was big for me. So just to bring a full circle. Um, that's kind of, I just kind of did it cause I always have a writer's block with writing screenplays and stuff at the time. And, um, yeah. And also, um, for me watching Cleveland in the 2016 world series, um, um, it was my was also happening during my fresh, which was happening during my freshman year in college, away from home in Atlanta. So it was kind of um, more for me to kind of stay connected with other friends and stuff back home. But also, it was kind of the first time I ever saw um, Cleveland go play in a World Series um, in my life. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, you talk about you know all those uh, black players that have come through Cleveland, and they've got a couple of young ones now too, with uh, Tristan McKenzie and Will Benson on the team right now and in prominent roles. And that's Xavier Carey, Richie Palacios, Josh Naylor. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. Um, that's one thing I really noticed in general with the Guardians and playing against the Mariners in this series is that they're a very young team. I mean, I think in Game Two they had an all rookie outfield with Quan Benson and Gonzalez. Mm. Um, and they used at least three rookie pitchers uh, during that game too, because Cody Moore started in that game and Eli Morgan came up later and um, Kirk McCarty. I mean, it's very unusual for a team this young to be having such a competitive season and a, and a good chance to make the playoffs. So is that something that really excites you about the Guardians and where do you kind of see them going forward for the next several years? So, um, you know, all three of us being prospect guys and, you know, Anders, you also covering Cleveland and Lynchburg, you kind of know the trope, oh, Cleveland loves young players and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, I think we're kind of seeing that play out now um, with what they young for level really hitting the major leagues like this. But I don't think we – kind of, it's, it's kind of precedent for a team to be this young for level. I think they love but also kind of be this good, right? But, I mean, you also got to kind of look at the fact that the Twins and the White Sox are kind of both having mediocre years right now. Right. Um. So – so the environment is kind of in their favor, but at the same time, there's, there's so many players on this roster that's played on this that's that's been on twenty five man roster. It has been their first year in the majors, and and so I mean that has to play a factor. But when you look at the numbers and stuff, Cleveland has an elite defense, um, that infield and outfield, and they they pitch well and they make a lot of contact, and they run the bases really well. I think I think that's a thing that I've noticed the most, you know, while playing Cleveland is, is you know, I, I follow on baseball savant a lot, especially when I'm out of the house. And, you know, it's like Robbie Ray goes up against them or, or you know, whoever. 
Luis Castillo, and it's like, you know, they're only racking up like six, seven, eight, nine whiffs, whereas, you know, in a normal game, it might be like more 15. We're getting 16 or 17. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a really good test, honestly, to, you know, and preparing for the playoffs, mm. uh, to be able to play against a team like the Guardians, who who makes so much contact and, and really make you approach them differently and like get them out differently than a lot of teams, um, which, you know, doesn't necessarily make them better, but I think it, it does pose a really unique um challenge you know from for yeah for us specifically you know mariners pitchers so oh yeah for that's sure something that um, i noticed yeah because yeah, a lot of even um you know the, the the bullpen too you guys are kind of based on getting whiffs instead of having guys that can um and do spad balls put in play um mm-hmm. so which isn't a bad thing but at the same time i feel like no team wants to play a team like cleveland in the playoffs just because of um how much they make contact in, in, in the playoffs, you know, it, it doesn't, when, when, it seems like in the playoffs, small ball is, just becomes so much more dangerous in it because mm-hmm. it's so much more micro, everything's so, uh, there's, there's, there's less, it's more about, um, no, I, I, um, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, they're, they're just putting, if you're putting the ball into play, like it's, it's more likely that things happen than, you know, a swing and miss, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, it's a five game series. You can you can focus on little things like just trying to put the ball in play versus the sixty game season where where you're um where you're trying to um focus on one each game, but also you're worried about the grand scheme of things. But yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so so yeah, I think with with Cleveland, um, it's really exciting because a lot of the young players they've had have shown success this year. Um, and I think. But one thing they got to do is um, manage their 25-man and 40-man roster well because they still have a lot of top prospects. And they also got to um, evaluate themselves really well. And they got to make some trades and stuff too cause, and things like that because they just have too much talent. What do you think at this point is the most important thing for them to address You know, long-term? Is there a spot where you think they haven't really found their guy yet or that you don't really see a guy where he can fill that spot? Um, short stop. Hmm. Um, I would shortstop, center field, and right field, and catcher. Do you do you think they'll move uh, Jimenez over? Um, I was I was at the the game with someone, and they're like, I think after the season, um, oh, I forgot his name. Uh, basically, he's like, I, I think the shortstop's gone. The guy from the Mets, Rosario. Well, I guess they're both from the Mets. Yeah. Um, he's like, I think Rosario's gone. And they slide Jimenez over. Do you think that that is the case, or do you think they'll keep him at second? Um, I like him a lot at second. Mm. Um, but I think they probably would slide him over to short. Yeah, just because Teal's kind of old school like that, and you know, with this symbolicism yeah. and the shortstop position and whatever. But mm-hmm. I like Rokio and a lot of the shortstop prospects that they have. Freeman. Um, but at the same time, they just have so many up mm. the middle, up the middle guys they got to kind of sort out and, and, and sift through. That's like the opposite problem that the Mariners have because they have zero up the middle prospects to speak <laughs> of now, except for the guy they just drafted. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point, Mariners fans, after playing you know seven games against the Guardians in the last couple of weeks, are very familiar with the likes of Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez, and I think Stephen Kwan at this point has made quite the impression, and Jimenez has made a big impression this season too. But are there any players that you think you know the? Uh, the national baseball landscape might be sleeping on that you think are going to, you know, have a big impact on the next winning Guardians franchise. 
Um, Josh Naylor is one of them. Mm. Okay. Um, for me, um, you look at his profile, um, eye contact, lots of raw power, um, plays a good, plays very good first base. Um, for me, when you look at the, um, the, the ability, the adequate power for first baseman, but he also pays at a low, low level and he's also a lefty too. So that's a bonus for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and his defense is good. And he's also been playing after like having like one of those crazy ankle injuries that he had last year. So, um, and his makeup is off the charts too. So, um, yeah. So I think he's one of those guys. Um, Ooh, what I pick. He plays with so much emotion. He's a madman. <laughs> yeah. He he had a really big, I want to say like May or June earlier this year. And um It was I think it was I think it was May where he like when he was like hitting every home run in night inning mm. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, he, when he like destroyed the White Sox and um that one game. <laughs> yeah. And that was amazing. It, that was so amazing to watch live because I knew he was gonna do it too. I just felt it. I got through the first one. I knew he was going to hit the second home run. <laughs> oh, yeah. Long term, would you say, are you afraid of any specific team in that division right now? Like, do you think, like, oh, in two, three years, this team's going to be really hard to keep up with? Probably the Twins. Mm. Just because they're so similar to Cleveland. Like, they have a lot of organizational DNA. Um, they're not as good as, at developing pitching, but they're a lot better at developing hitters. Um, and they actually spend money. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's... The White Sox are just... The White Sox, they have the core, but they're just, they're just too inept. They don't, they, well, they don't, they don't, they don't fear me. They don't yeah. move me. They're just. I yeah. think Tony Larusa is a big problem there. Obviously, it's Rick Hahn and Reinsdorf too. It's just a mm -hmm. that organization is like I don't know what to describe them as. I think inept was good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was trying to give a, I was trying to give a funny metaphor, media reference, but I just that yeah. came to mind. Yeah. No. Yeah. And like, yeah, I, I thought the twins were toast as recently as, I don't know, even maybe last year. Um, but they've they've done a lot to shore up, obviously, the rotation. They have Correa now, and, and I think their their bullpens really, you know, popped up, too. So um, I don't know, I guess. Oh, and they have Gary Sanchez. I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. But yeah, they've really proven me wrong. Um, yeah, and actually... You know, we were wondering, um, just in terms of obviously players that I think we spend a lot of time talking about players that we do like. Um, I'm curious to know, because we have kind of our own experience with this, with Jake Fraley, who's now gone. But what what is it like to have to root for players like James Karinczak? Uh, Because obviously he's been... He's been back, you know, he's been spinning his fastball and his curveball like he was before the sicky stuff ban. And I I think it's pretty clear that, you know, he's he's getting some sicky stuff on the ball again. But like, you know, with all the off the field stuff, what's what's it like having to root for him? It's, it's, it's hard, but I'm not going to act like it's it's no different than us tolerating a whole bunch of other people who do a whole bunch of things over years, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I mean, when you look at um, like it could be worse. I, I would say, like, I mean, to to me, mm. as long as he, like, I mean, you, you see the you hear the dog whistles and whatnot, and 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 you and, and that's cool. But at the same time, it's it's on me as long as he isn't 
out real over with it. Like if if he goes mm-hmm. to that point, I mean, where I, I feel I don't feel threatened, and, and and that's cool with me right now. So yeah, like I mean, I, I'll say I'll say what I mean. I mean, what he's into doesn't move me because I mean when I mean. I mean, just just look at the owners of the team. They donate to political campaigns with them every year. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I guess it's just a little more because I think you're right. Really, in the end, like the the impact and everything is the same. Um, I think it's just more overt and like he just kind of looks like the kind of player or the kind of person he is off the field. Oh no, for um, sure. Like I mean, I'm. Just, you know? <laughs> yeah, but like as long as he isn't like on a fully fledged BS, I mean, it is what it is. I can tolerate <laughs> yeah. it. Like it, it's tolerable. Right. Like I mean, it's, yeah. it's tolerable. So I mean, more right. power to him. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, I don't know. And mind you, I understand because you know y'all y'all know me. I'm 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 pretty radical. So I mean, I kind of get it. Sticking out in this space, how I do so. Um, it's, it's nothing to give other folks grace. Yeah. Especially when you don't know any better. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you were at the Mariners guardians game. Uh, was it yesterday, right? Yes. Um, what, what would you say, you know, from an outside perspective is your impression of what the Mariners are putting together this year? Um, and having just watched you guys that- actually got serious about pitching. Mm. And not just from like, acquiring guys and stuff like that but from like an organizational standpoint like i say like prior to like like 2019 like DePoto and, and the Mariners were kind of seemed very unserious about pitching development is that right I mean does that sound about right yeah I mean I think that's one thing both of our organizations do very well and I think that they're two of the best in baseball at developing pitchers. yeah I think with the Mariners is a lot more recent too your guys leap forward mm-hmm. right yeah I think for prospects um I think we really just learned about it, you know, in terms of their ability, I guess more so the programming in 2019, because Eno Saris, you know, would uh, kind of report back from going to Modesto and getting an inside look at, I think from Logan Gilbert, of the things that they were doing. And he was really impressed. So I think that was the first time that we were like, oh, like they are targeting, you know, good types of players and also they seem to be doing the right things with development i think recently you know the past year especially i think we're really starting to see andres munoz matt brash you know gilbert um kirby so i i think we're finally starting to kind of you know see the fruits of of their labor um, i think one thing a lot of people forget with pitching development is that um, pitchers are kind of two to be kind of very, very bad in, in the majors for their first 100 innings or so. Mm-hmm. Like, that's usually how it goes. I mean, and I think it's, I think with the marriage, it's kind of cool to see um, how fast Elite Four happens and, um, and also mm-hmm. kind of see, um, you guys really take it in around with it and, and actually take even more leaps forward too um, in response by building on everything. And it's really, and it'll be interesting to see um, how you guys move forward. Cause it seems like you guys got a kind of got a backpedal now on the position player side. It seems like you guys had that kind of had that sorted out. So, mm-hmm. so 
yeah. that'll be interesting to see. What um what are your impressions, you know, of because you know, a lot of the reason why we had you on is because they've been playing the Guardians so damn much in the past two weeks. Like what what are your kind of impressions in terms of the two matching up? Like are are they a team that you're worried about in the playoffs in a, a three game, you know, wildcard series, uh, as opposed to you know, any of the other teams? So me personally, I wasn't really expecting the Guardians to go to the playoffs this year, but I was expecting the them to be anyone anyone so if they do i'm just i mean if they go to playoffs i mean i'm concerned with that i mean i also really mm-hmm. understand baseball is a crap shoot so i don't really uh, um uh, people like us don't really we're we're weird we don't really care we just we just have dc playoff baseball and have to see our teams play playoff baseball mm-hmm. but at the same time um i really feel like if cleveland's in the playoffs they'd be one of the worst teams in the playoffs Mm. So I think they, I, I'd be kind of worried playing anybody either way, uh, just off the <laughs> GP. Um, plus, what's just how young the team is. But at the same yeah. time, that's an advantage in this in the sense. Like most of those dudes on the team are like every like a third of that team is my age, probably. Yeah, yeah, and they only have two guys over thirty, which is the backup catcher Whoa. Luke Neely and then middle Brian reliever Shaw. Brian Shaw. Shout out yeah. Brian Shaw, <laughs> Cleveland legend Brian Shaw. Yeah, he there's a sound change up to him, like a corned beef sandwich or something, because he's just consistent. <laughs> but oh, that is shit. definitely a good thing to have, like such a young squad when you consider, you know, the trajectory is likely upwards from here, right? Oh yeah, like, for sure. You're probably pretty excited for the next few years. There's not even that; they still got other pieces to add from the farm system too. So been uh, obviously like i when i write about it was actually my first piece at bp last year in august so about a almost exactly a year ago um i've been really really pleased to see tristan mckenzie popping off because i think he's he's definitely top five favorite player for me i love watching him pitch when he's on he is so exciting to watch yeah no he's he's a man yeah i i really um so i um I, I really love um uh, black pitchers are important to me, you know, growing up in North mm-hmm. Carolina, watching CC, um, and him carrying Satchel Page's legacy and whatnot, everything like that that he did, yeah, was was big was big for me and how I see the game, the game, things like that, and, um, and Trist and seeing Tristan kind of follow our legacy, um, was is really ha- it really makes me happy in a way I really can't describe or elaborate on, yeah, um, because he does it willingly and. No, and it also um is um how much he's um stepping into the community stuff like that it makes me happy so um because he 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 sees what i see and i, I can kind of deduce from one similar wavelength just based on how he carries himself and and what he says so that being said um with Tristan, he's just a, a really good pitcher um at the same time feel safe to say he's he's your favorite current Cleveland uh, player? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like Josh Naylor. Yeah, it's uh, it's him and Bieber for me. It's gonna be Bo Naylor though. It's gonna be Bo Naylor though when he when he gets caught up. Yeah, because I just feel like a, a catcher that can steal twenty bases is that's so wild. <laughs> I have a uh, I have a known personal affinity for Stephen Kwan, but that's because I uh, I knew him in Lynchburg, and he was such a great guy. 
Um, oh. and, and just like, I remember he, he was one of the more like genuinely humble players. Like I would talk to him and he told me that he basically didn't expect to make the majors and that he thought this was just something that he was going to do, you know, a fun thing he was going to do before he had to move on to the real world. And he just like genuinely enjoyed himself, um, on the field and off the field, like kind of just was like loving the journey. So to see him not only like make the big leagues, but to also be like, you know, a three to four win player in his rookie season is just like super fun to watch. Even even when he's doing like really annoying things against the Mariners, um, I can't help but be happy for him. So um, they definitely have a ton of players that are easy to root for. Cleveland has a lot of that's one thing. It seems like when you look at Cle- my time covering Cleveland, you know, working covering the Miners last year, covering the Miners this year. Last year, we're going to Insider this year from MMOB.com and Baseball Respectus and talking to guys in Cleveland system and whatnot and observing them and talking to other people about them. They really have a focus on makeup and, and finding good guys. Um, and it seems to really correlate. Like, um, yeah. Juan Hellman, cool dude. Um, who also knows? Xavier Van Curry, cool dude. Um, Jose Nelson, cool. Bo mm-hmm. Naylor was really cool. George Valer was really cool. And for me, um, I see it's easy to see myself in a lot of these guys when I listen to them and tell them stories and stuff like that. It makes me easy to root for and stuff because I know. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. I really um, understand what you're saying, Anders, about um, and I seem like that's a really Cleveland thing too. They have a it, it seems to be a pattern. What were you gonna say about uh, Day, Mikey? Oh, um, I mean, you know, like I, I think. Uh... Uh, you, you know, when you look at when you look at MLB, you know, in the past however many years, um, there is. I mean, I guess it tracks with um, uh, like U.S. demographics, but like, you know, there is an underrepresentation of, of black and, and Asian players. And I was going to write up an, an article kind of a tribute to Ichiro, but it just I, was, I started it and it didn't necessarily feel right. But, you know, Kwan is, is Chinese and Japanese and um, like, I don't know, I'm Filipino, which is not the same at all. But I think anytime, you know, you do see for me like an Asian player popping off. Um, it, it is a really cool thing. Like, again, Asia is not a monolith. It's like Africa and, <laughs> but, and diaspora. Um, yeah. And that's the one thing, too, like um, minority coverage of, of, of baseball and is so lacking in, in depth. I mean, sports in general too. Um, in terms of even mm-hmm. how we cover ourselves and stuff, just kind of based on um, not wanting to get backlash or or whatever. But at the same time, um, and and it, and, it, and it shows in real time in certain ways when we see players playing, even when we talk about these things. So, but yeah, I understand what you mean. Like, I, it's really, yeah. I really, it's really important to see guys like Stephen Kwan and like, um, and. Asians from um, uh, Americanized families play the sport, like and stuff like that, because it doesn't really seem that common, you know. Mm-hmm. Or even even for like first generation American yeah. Asians or stuff like that. I mean, it's wild that, to me that in two thousand one, Ichiro was the first, you know, Asian uh, position player. Yeah. Like I forget that all the time because you know there's a handful of. I mean, of there Asian had to be now, some but... like Japanese American players that had to play. There had to have yeah. been. Like, there's no way. I mean, all the ones yeah. from California, Hawaii. <laughs> there's still really, I mean, there's a couple Filipino players, but it's, 
I think it's Travis Darnell. Travis Darnell is Filipino. Yeah. How'd you guys find that out? Yeah. Uh, I forget. Did, did, how um, did the Filipino Twitter even do oh, that? Really? There's only like four Filipino people in baseball Twitter in general. So like, how'd you? <laughs> it's how did how did Janice do this? Him was, was it Janice him. Or, or was it Kevin? Or was I don't it know. <laughs> I <laughs> the three the three Filipinos. I don't know, but it's him and, and Jordan Yamamoto. The three Filipinos. Yeah. In, in baseball Twitter, but. <laughs> Yeah, but Yamamoto, yeah, is is apparently <laughs> wow. mixed Filipino as well. Um, yeah, uh, so I don't know. We like we like Tim Lincecum is the most white passing what? Filipino ever, but we uh, all Filipinos love. Yeah, he's Filipino. He's Filipino. Oh he's my god, Filipino, that's crazy! Yeah. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. That either. was me when I found out. Um, yeah. Jordan, uh, uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan, uh. Jordan, uh Jordan Hicks was uh was black or or Jack Flaherty. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's it's you know <laughs> it's not apparent. Yeah, definitely for sure. Those those phenotypes, man. But um, what was it about? Yeah. What was I gonna say? I forget what I was gonna say. That, oh yeah, that was yeah. um, that was like me when I found out Fernando Rodney um is of American descent. Um, okay. Here's the history lesson. So, you guys know when Haiti freed herself from colonialization or whatever in 1803 um so from uh-huh. that point forward it saw itself as a place of refuge from for slaves from other places in the americas um there's a group of people in the dominican Republic called saman americans they are dominicans who are of black american descent who are the de- descendants of black american slaves who escaped to hispaniola and mm-hmm. fernando rodney's one of them that's yeah, and like they they literally have wow. like they still speak a Creole that's a mixture of Spanish and and Ebonics. They they still have their black last names. Wow. They I mean they're grained in Dominican society, but they still see themselves as descendants of Black Americans. They still have their records and all that. Like there's thousands of them. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why. Because I mean, he's he's of American. Wow. Yeah, like people don't know. Damn. Like, I mean, that's I mean, and there's and there's communities like that all throughout the South America, Latin America. Because you got to think about yeah. it. Many people don't know that. Like, when, like many people don't know that trans like slave trade transported more people African descent to Latin America than North America, or that they freed themselves before mm-hmm. we got free in North America, or that they literally right. have more of the African descent in the culture than we do in ours up here. And whatnot, and I mean, and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that you all, you both know about when it comes to media betrayal and whatnot. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's many people, and I love dropping that fact on people, yeah. just because like it, it really just, I mean, and, and many people don't even know about like what Minnie Minoso or Roberto Clemente said on record too, and like I mean, you, <laughs> and if they knew that, they would never go against me and how mm-hmm. I cover the game. So I love dropping a little tidbit on people because it really puts a, a lot of things into perspective and it, and it really shows um how interconnected black history is like across the diaspora too so yeah i mean that but that's really cool to me and it, yeah. is, and it makes me um and it, and that really makes me happy i'm actually gonna do twitter i should do a twitter thread about that yeah for sure i mean and i think you know like we're or at least i'm speaking for myself like really appreciative of the work that you're doing, you know, with with yeah. focus on black players, because 
there's there's no one out like there's literally no one else that I'm aware of that um you know is is doing these like spotlights on on players that deserve it and you know especially like with these I don't know these history tidbits like I, I think I think people would be really receptive to to a thread and um I think you and you and Shaki are two of the people that are are really uh again like spotlighting and, and championing or uh um, I will say for me um you know her Shakia um Adrian Burgos, Dr. Adrian Burgos, and Dr. Bob Kendrick are kind of those those three mm-hmm. for me. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Bradford, Bradford William Davis too. So yeah. yeah. And and I was, you know, I was gonna say specifically with like Mini Minoso, um because uh, like I I hadn't heard of him, you know, as recently as a couple years ago. So, you know, I think it goes to show uh just you know with media coverage people and everything, know the team like, had the, the first the work black that you're doing is really important and they had the first black battery to play in AO. like that's crazy like right yeah so you know again we're we we love to see it we love to see pat shining um because we were talking about you know pre pre-pod uh it was only a year two two years ago that that you know, Pat wasn't at MLB. Pat wasn't at uh, Baseball Pro or Saber. No, so. and, you know, it's 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 it, no. Nah, thank you guys for having me. It's kind of crazy being a producer, you know, and having um, you know, the craft and everything be and be as good to me as it's been. You know, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, because yeah, sometimes I I I feel really uncomfortable being here, and I feel um like I'm not cut out for this, or maybe I shouldn't be here, or I'm just taking my space taking space that should be for somebody else and at the same but at the same mm-hmm. time i i want it because i just i want it um i love it right i love to tell stories and this is one of the ways i can tell stories so why not do it and, um and, and it's just been i've just been just been just enjoying the journey enjoying the ride and stuff you know this this trajectory i've been on it's been crazy um so hell yeah and it's just really unexpected so i'm just, yeah. just trying to um just trying to take it day by day for sure. Um, you can find me on social, on Twitter at tangible underscore uno. Um, you can find my online portfolio clippings slash tangible uno. No problem. Let's hope that'll be really entertaining. But thank you guys for having me. Um, Anders and Mike. Um, it's really good to be here. Really excited to talk to you guys. And I'm really happy to have this conversation. Awesome. Well, once again, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk to you a little bit later if the Mariners and Guardians match up in a playoff series. But um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When Mikey and I come back, we'll uh, dive into some of the questions uh, and some recent Mariner stuff. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Um, Let's dive into some of your guys' questions because I think we've been uh, neglecting those for the last couple episodes. So I wanted to talk about some stuff that people are really wondering right now. Um, Let's dive into first Zach Jabal's question from Discord. He wants to know... Um, is there anyone on the not on the twenty man twenty eight man roster right now who you think could be a factor in both the September run and also here in the playoffs, Mikey? So who would you kind of pick out of the crew? There's a number of I think candidates. Ah <sighs> oh, man, I mean, I feel like uh, it was interesting. There was a, a note in in one of his articles from Ryan Divish, kind of saying, you know, if if there was a player in the minors that could 
that could help the Mariners. And I think specifically on the hitting side, uh, he would be up now. Um, right. So I do think this is a tough question, but I, I kind of wonder if... I don't think it's Kelnick. I'm he- I think it's most likely out of the list that's on our sheet. I think it's Kyle Lewis. I was going to say that but, too. But I think the wild card is Evan White. Really? Yeah. See, I, I kind of think that they're trying to let Evan White kind of get things right and maybe compete for a spot in spring training. That's just kind of how I see things because I just struggle to see, especially with Carlos Santana on the squad right now, where he fits on the roster because you can't have three first basemen on the roster. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, and maybe it's just me uh, having seen his highlights but let me pull up his numbers since he's come back in I think August. I saw um, MILB Mariners tweeted out a quick like little thing about what his numbers were since he came back I from mean, the injured list. Into he's OPSing over a thousand. Yes, he's hitting since... 271, 368, 712 with seven homers, eight walks and 11 strikeouts. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of that is propped up, honestly, though, by two games. Yeah, he had a couple. Um, of, he had a two homer game in there, right? Yeah. So I think it is like a. Well, I was gonna say it's like a power dependent profile, but he's walking too. I think because I'm just staring at like hits per game. Uh, yeah, he's walking quite a bit. So I don't know. Um, a healthy Evan White. I mean, I think we forget when he was drafted. They were like, oh. The Mariners might put him in center and he'll be a plus center fielder. Oh, I don't know if that's true anymore, but I think a healthy Evan White can be a plus corner outfielder. Um, right. And he's got a good arm. So I think it's kind of risky. Um, I don't I don't I don't really trust. Anyone who's in the minors right now to to be a reliable, you know, whatever I um, think. I think Lewis makes the most sense specifically because in the playoffs, there's so many off days. You know, you have so many travel days built into the schedule mm. that I think that allows him a lot of built in time to take some time off. So, you know, if if he can only play twice a week, well, all of a sudden that's not so bad if you're only playing, you know, four games a week because then he's able to play in half the games. Mm. Um, so I think that he's kind of like what he's going through right now might be perfectly tailored to being a playoff bat. Or being like a pinch hitter, you know, in the eighth inning, if you want to take your catcher out of the game, you know, I think that that's a pretty perfect use of where he is at in his career right now. Which makes it all the more weird that you know, service made those comments, you know, when he got sent down. Um, and if you look, he's he's been playing in the minors again since the nineteenth. He he's got a hit in every game except two, and has pretty much, well, it's like half the time uh, has multi-hit games. So um, I really just think that he needs to go down and just, you know, kind of get right, make an adjustment. And and I think he is the most likely to to make an impact. Uh, I do not trust Kelnick. Terence, don't get me started. <laughs> um, yeah, they played him I at mean, second base the other day. And I think they played him at third at one point this week. Too. You put Toro... Toro's up right now. I didn't. Um, I didn't put him on this spreadsheet, but <laughs> okay, okay. But so, I think yeah, I, I still think that he will be. I think he could be a part 
of the playoff roster just if he continues to hit the way he has. Because um, yeah. I think right now he's already more exciting than Adam Frazier. Because Frazier... <laughs> I, made the, I made a joke hmm. the other day that Frazier's a zero-tool athlete. <laughs> I don't think that's <laughs> really fair to him, but he's certainly like a one- or two-tool athlete because he's not hitting for contact right now. He has no power. We know that already. Um, mm-hmm. He plays at second, so arm is kind of out of the question. Um, I just don't really see what the appeal to Frazier is over Toro. Even if Toro isn't hitting you know, super well, he still has a lot more pop in his bat. Um, he has you know, equivalent, if not a little bit better, plate skills. Um, so I think that there is certainly a spot for Toro on a playoff roster, but I don't know if they yeah. would rid Frazier of, of his spot there. Well, and I don't know. Toro said the time in Tacoma was helpful for his mental and, and making adjustments at the plate. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the you know reinforcements um, will be <laughs> more reinforceful. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's 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 attack one of these other questions. Um, yeah. Another question from Zach was: Is it maybe preferable to be the wild card three and avoid the Astros until the ALCS at the earliest? Now, you know, with the, with the new playoff structure, there's a lot of like gaming. I think of you know what spot you want, and this is one reason why I wish they had made it so that the top teams get to pick their opponents because this way there's always you know no matter what there is um an incentive to play well and to get as good of a spot mm. as you possibly can because there's no like oh well let's just lose this series to the a's because now we can play you know the white Sox instead of the rays or whatever um i think you know my preference in terms of teams to play you know i i kind of struggle to, to think of teams i want to avoid specifically i think the astros are the only team i really don't want to play in the playoffs i think Everyone else, the Mariners have shown the capacity to beat. So mm. I think maybe the second team I'd be afraid of is the Blue Jays because I still think there's something untapped there. Even though the Mariners played well against them, I think that the Blue Jays are a much more talented team than their record shows and that they've played so far. Um, I think I'd much rather play you know, one of the central teams or the Rays. Uh, what about you, Mikey? Well, I guess the first thing I want to say is I, I don't, and I don't know if this is what you're saying, but I, I don't think that there's. I, I, I think teams are too competitive and I, I, I think there's. Maybe not enough uh, because it's baseball, you know, anything can happen. I don't think that teams are like, oh, we're going to take this series off. Like yeah. we want to <laughs> we want that number three spot or whatever. Um, I think really what you're scared of is the best hitting teams. Um, and I think that's the Blue Jays. I mean, they're yeah. a, probably a top five offense. Um, so I don't really know, honestly, who, who I'd prefer to be matched up against. But um, I do think that the Blue Jays are the scariest matchup in terms of hitting. And obviously the Astros have the best blend of we do everything well. Um, that makes it, you know, hard for the Mariners to match up against. But, um, you know, their 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 team is the Mariners. That is, is set up for a 
a three and five game series, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, they have the pitching for so, it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of fun to even be talking about this in the first place, right? Like, as we speak right now, this is before the last game of the Guardian series. And the Mariners have a 98.9% chance of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs, which is pretty freaking, like incredible and also hard to wrap your brain around i know mikey this has been something that you've like struggled to wrap your mind around um when you consider the mariners are only like what three and a half games up of not being in a playoff spot at all Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of hard to like really i think comprehend those odds when you look at the standings um but the way things are shaking out right now it really looks like a four-team race for three spots right so you have the Blue Jays, the Mariners, the Rays, then the Orioles are the last are the first team out. And it really seems like it's just going to be some combination of those four teams for the three spots. Because the Twins have lost five in a row at the time that we're speaking. And the White Sox are struggling. So it really looks like the three central teams are just going to be duking it out for the division and nothing else. So it kind of seems like if the Orioles make it in, it's who do they knock out. And that's kind of what accounts for those odds. But I mean, I, I'm i getting kind of nervous about the Orioles. I mean, even in spite of what the odds say. I think the Orioles are just like, they've got some sort of uh, baseball magic <laughs> around their team in a way that's kind of like the Mariners had last year. I think um, I think Fangraphs wrote an article about that. Uh, like, why? Why are their odds so low when, you know, they're a game behind uh, the Blue Jays? And mm-hmm. only, you know, a handful behind the race Mariners. Uh, I think it's mainly that the uh, the projections don't like how they're going to finish the season. Like, of, I think they're the only team uh, with the Guardians in the top, I don't know, top half of teams, whatever, uh, that are projected to lose... Uh, more games than they win. Um, like they're they're kind of projected to 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 finish out like the Cubs or the Royals or the Red. You know, like no, they're not they're not projected to do well, which I think is probably not right. Like I think they'll probably perform better than that. Um, projections are very notorious for not being able to catch you know the the small sample kind of things they just called up Gunnar henderson you know yeah rutschman has been insane um so yeah i think i would like to see them make it i would too it's just hard to be like we're we're so we're so damaged as mariners fans (laughs) that like anytime someone is surging we're like oh here it comes you know here comes you know, we're going to collapse as they surge and that's how they get in, Mm. right? Like, we've seen this with the A's several times. Um, I think, what was the last year where this happened? 2018, where the Mariners um, were kind of like doing a victory lap in August. Yep. I was just looking at the, I was trying to find, you know, like the Mariners have never had odds anywhere like this since those go back, which I think is 2014. Um, 2018 was the closest where in like July, early July, they were in like 86% playoff odds. Uh-huh. Um, and then the A's just slowly, you know, kind of took over. 
So that's kind of why I fear um, the Orioles because I'm just like this is the team. This is like there's always a team, and this is gonna be the one that like knocks the Mariners out. Well, but, and I think I think the 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 reality is, I think that's the easy way to frame it for us. Um, yeah. But the reality is more so one of the Rays, Blue Jays, Orioles. You know, they're they're not gonna do it right. Um, and I mean, the Rays have had up. a lot of problems recently. But they just lost Shane McClanahan. Like, it might be them. Could be. Um, and again, like, uh, I don't know what their schedules look like, but they're all in the same division. They're all going to play each other. So that that does cap, you know, how well, um, you know, they can they can only do so well. Because if one team is winning a ton, that means one team's losing a lot, you know? Uh, so I think the Mariners are protected in that way too. And I think all of this is reflected in the playoff odds and the numbers. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's really like, I would be really interested to see going into September, you know, they're at 97.3 odds who has fucked up this badly before. Um, <laughs> I think the odds are, you know, that they're in. Um, so yeah, not to belabor the point. Um, right. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to get to. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get into another one. So Ian wants to know: Did the Mariners make their 2023 offseason splash in quotes already by extending Julio? And if they extend France and or I assume he means Luis Castillo, uh, do you think Stanton would open up the checkbook for someone of Aaron Judge's caliber, or what about a Bogarts level player? And this is this is something I've kind of been wrestling with for a while, Mikey. But what what's your initial take on this? Uh, uh, judge, fuck no. Um, <laughs> like you don't you don't, don't think they'll go for it, or you don't want him? Uh, I think it's tough. I mean, I would want him. Um, it's tough. He, he like he is a really injury prone player. Um, he's also an unreal talent. Um. I would like for them to do that. I don't think a that they're willing to shell out that much money for anyone. Um, and B, you know, I think the reality is with the context of how the Mariners are going to spend, uh, I think it's probably not the best in investment. I don't know. If, I don't know if I want to word it like that, but you know, like I, I, I don't think it's the, the best way to kind of use their money in the way that they are realistically going to do so. Right. Um, And then, you know, there's also that Bogarts at age 29. Oh, I guess. Yeah. His, like he's not hitting the ball, especially well. I think Bogarts actually, I think is a kind of similar thing to like Marcus Semyon. He had a rough start to, to his uh, Rangers career too. So. Yeah. But Kind of a landmine and, the Mariners miss. And I guess I, I, I suppose I mean that in kind of a negative way. We're like, <laughs> Semyon, more than anyone, aside from uh, Jose Ramirez, just pulls everything. Pulls tons of fly balls, and like Bregman, like, you know, whatever, uh, they mostly go over because, you know, they're, it's the shortest ball part of the ball uh, park. Um and that's what Bogarts is doing this year. And if if that profile goes away, like we saw with Semyon early on, if you're not able to pull those five balls, 
then you have Abraham Toro esque batted balls where they just kind of hang up and <laughs> yeah, they're big flyouts, long flyouts. Um, so uh, I guess I didn't answer the beginning of the question. Um, I don't think they made their splash. I think I'm I'm always very hesitant to think that the Mariners are going to be one of the big players in free agency. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like Ray kind of was, um, you know, that was a big signing. Um, and Cano was, although that was literally not Jerry DePoto. Um, and also it was um, under different different ownership, right? Or different, uh, different definitely a different leadership. group. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I I hope that they do make uh, a splash, but I think it'll be a tier two or like one B type signing. So, Judge is not happening. Bogarts, I think, uh, is is a better uh, framework or you know like idea of a, a the kind of player that they will acquire um would be kind of weird because bogart's is a shortstop he's gonna get shortstop money he's probably best at shortstop um and they just extended jp who is not a good enough hitter to play second base right um i think my thoughts on this are mostly that i i feel like this is maybe what they were saving the money for was to do all of these extensions um because everyone was wondering, oh, why don't you just, you know, spend your money in the winter? We know you have it. Um, I kind of want, you know, they signed the Crawford extension. They signed the Julio extension. Acquiring Castillo is going to be a hit in arbitration. Um, and I still think by spring training of next year, they will sign at least one, if not two more extensions. Among the group of Ty France, Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, Mitch Haniger. Um, maybe mm. Jesse Winker, but I really don't think so. They already, um, they already gave him something. Who's that? Winker. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe uh, Kirby. I just, yeah, I think, I think that among that group, they're going to sign one or two more extensions. And I don't know if they then think that there's room to make a big splash. What I kind of see happening mm. is I think, I think there's quote unquote key player you know, and however you want to define that, but like, you know, a player who's going to be a, a a key piece, I think that they're going to add someone like that before next season starts. And I don't know whether that means they're going to add, you know, a three-win player or a six-win player. You know, I think that there's a wide range for that. And I think that's especially true if they don't re-sign Mitch Haniger. But if they re-sign Mitch mm-hmm. Haniger, I really struggle to see where there's room for them to add another outfielder specifically. Because your outfield is already going to be Winker, Julio, Haniger, and like you can't displace any of those guys, I don't think. And you're going to have the the young mix of of Lewis, Kelnick, Trammell, um, already in there too. So I think what's more likely to happen is, you know, maybe they're players for Bogarts, but I think they're looking at this log jam of starting pitching prospects they have that are near big league ready. You know, we talk about this all the time with. Hancock and Dollard and and Bryce Miller um, and Prelander Barroa now and Matt Brash maybe being a starter again. I think they're going to deal a couple of those guys for maybe an impact player of some kind, you know, put together a package 
or a semi-interesting uh, second baseman long-term mm. um, or, you know, so- something in that range. I think that's pretty much like a perfect plan. And that that kind of, to me, seems like where they would make a splash more than a huge signing, because I think they're going to be more inclined to use that money on the guys that they already have and keeping them around. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we've talked about like Lewis and, and Hanniger seem. Kind of mutually exclusive. Like. You've really got. Uh, I think they're just kind of the same player in different forms you know like yeah they they are pretty probably... similar i mean i think hanniger has better bat to ball skills yeah but i think otherwise uh, there's a lot of similarities for sure and i th- i think i mean hanniger just put up a two and a half war season last year with 39 home runs and and you know like um and a full season which lewis has never done question mark lewis has never played a full season uh, not kind of and, the and has year. twice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think if you, if you move one of them, I, I, I move Lewis, but I also don't know if Hanniger wants to come back. Uh, so I feel like he's going to want to, especially if they make the playoffs. I mean, he wrote that article in the players tribune last fall. That was like, you know, mm. we're, we're going to do this thing. You know, I, I, I don't think he would have done that if he wasn't about being here. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, so I think I think they're going to sign an extension to for him for like a you know three or two and some options or you know it'll probably be a very complicated contract, but I think that they're going to keep him around for for the next couple of years at least. And then if they do, yeah, I wonder what they do with all those outfielders. I still think Kelnick is maybe gone. I hope he's not, but I feel like there's like I feel like the Marlins for Kelnick is like almost too good of a fit to be true. Like the Marlins have been terrible to this point at producing position player prospects. Um, I mean, jazz Chisholm is like their only really like young guy that they have. That's like really excelling and they need outfielders and they have so many fricking pitchers. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you got to think that, you know, the Mariners could, could convince them to part with one of them for Kelnick and maybe there's a bigger package to be had than that. But um, that feels like a pretty obvious fit, but I, I want Kelnick to stay and I want him to to be good here. But like I said before, like maybe they, they move Winker to DH and that opens up an outfield spot, but I don't know where else there's a B is for, for Jared Kelnick going forward. Um, But I I really want him to, to, to succeed and to be, you know, an everyday player here. So god don't we all yeah. uh but i don't know i think uh i don't know there's not that many i was talking i was talking to someone about it uh i think the the way to circumvent this is who gives a shit about the outfield you know acquire <laughs> a really good second baseman and yeah and it becomes less of an issue and you can kind of patch it together um that's not really available on the free agent market. So. No, that's why I think he's going to get creative and he's he's going to trade for someone. You know what would be? They're not going to do it, but I really want Curtis Mead from the the Rays, the Australian prospect. He's a second base prospect who's, I think he's top fifty on most lists right now, and he can just like hit the crap out of the ball, and that would just be so fun to have. But I don't know what the Mariners could give the Rays. 
And, you know, the Mariners love trading with the Rays. I'm just roster baiting my ass off right now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like Depoto's going to get creative in some way, shape, or form. And he's going to get a guy that we didn't really anticipate. Because no, none of us anticipated Ray or Winker. You know, we were, we were all focusing on, you know, Stroman and Chris Bryant. Gossman. And yeah. Gossman. Yeah, like, I think he's going to do something that we're not really talking about that's going to seem, you know, obvious once the deal is made. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's a confusing thing, but um, I don't know. You just it, they're obviously working with their current roster, but I, I think I think part of the focus of the offseason should be how can we how can we better shape this you know this roster to where uh, you know it's like. We can deal with injuries and, you know, we can we can mix and match better than they can now because it's. Eh. Did you want to uh, did you want to close things out by talking about the tunneling article <clears throat> that uh, Meow Mix asked us to, to touch on? Yes, I need to. Uh, oh, it's right there. Oh, I already had it pulled up. Oh, well. Um, OK, it's. Uh, it's a lot. Um I mean, so I guess I'll just go down kind of bullet by bullet. Yeah, what, they, so why don't, why don't we introduce what this is? So who wrote this and what is it about? So this is a collaborative effort made by Ethan Rendon, Eli Emery, Will Sugar, and Tieran Alexander, who um, is uh, a Mariners fan. This is at, I um, think, listens. This is at Prospects Live, right? Yep. Um, came out August 23rd. And it's just an article about pitch tunneling. And um, they talk about the work that, that Baseball Prospectus has, has done. And, and they've had um, different metrics to try and be able to quantify, like, what, you know, how can we, how can we take pitch tunneling and, like, put it into a number? Uh, and I think they were, it was a valiant effort. Um, a lot of what they would do is... Um, uh, look at, you know, the difference in, you know, where two pitches are released and, and also like when the ball's 24 feet from the plate, like how far they're away from each other. Um, and I think Prospects Live really judiciously starts off with saying like release point separation doesn't matter. And I, I think that, that that's true. Um, I don't know who's done the research, but I, I know that there is evidence to suggest that like unless a release point between two pitches is like because people talked a lot about like Logan Gilbert. Um, they're like, you know, he releases his fastball way different from his curveball, which is way different from his slider last year. And I I think I was pretty openly like this doesn't matter. Like people are talking about this and I don't think that this is a thing. Uh, the research and, and evidence suggests that unless unless two pitches are more than three balls, you know, apart, uh, hitters can't pick it up. Um, and you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I think that's nine inches. I think a ball is about. Um, I'll look it up. But I think a ball is about. Let's see. Their circumference is nine inches. 
Well, that's that's not what you're trying to measure. The circumference is all the way around. You're just trying to measure what it is in one dimension. Yeah, I'm trying to. I think it's three. I'm trying to look at. No, that seems small. Diameter. Nine inches. No, that's circumference again. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly. <laughs> that, was, that was the first. OK, it is. It is three inches in diameter. So I was right. Nine inches uh, is three baseballs uh, in terms of width. That's really far. Like uh, there's not there's not really any pitchers that um, that have pitches that they're throwing that differently. Um, because when I write about changes in arm slot, a lot of the time I'm writing about one, two, three inches in, in, in change, which creates really big differences on the shape of the, of the pitch. Um, so pitchers just don't do this. So it, it really doesn't matter um, in terms of pitch separation. I think what matters is like uh, what hitters pick up on is like arm speed or like these little things with uh idiosyncrasies you know where uh pitchers will like squeeze their glove a bunch before they're throwing their slider not their fastball whatever so what the article is looking at is like you know what does matter when it comes to pitch tunneling um and it's a really cool article because it it is um actual um they're trying to find the optimal ranges for like with different pitches, how much how much horizontal pitch separate uh, separation do you want in terms of like how much your slider is sweeping off of your fastball that's running? And they found optimal, uh, uh, you know, horizontal uh, break separation, induced uh, vertical break separation, so IVB, and then also um, pitch speed. And um, so I think they do a really good job of that. I think they do a great job of teasing out like it's not the same for every pitch. And I, I think, again, they very judiciously when they talk about change ups, uh, they talk about, you know, it's not necessarily um, the, the the pitch traits that matter so much. It's. um it's can you command the change up, which I think is true. I think part of what they're not picking up on here is that I think what the public doesn't really understand for a lot of these pitches um, is like seam shifted wake. And really what that is, and I've been kind of screaming this into the void for since I wrote my seam shifted wake article at, at BP is that uh, really what we're looking at when we talk about seam shifted wake is pitch deception. And it's it's not like people talk about axis deviation. So like, oh, this fastball is at 1 o'clock at release, and by the time it gets to the plate, it's at 1230. And so I added a bunch of ride. A lot of the time that's true. I have my misgivings with... with um, with axis deviation, really, I think what we're looking at is what are pitchers expecting based on spin, based on release, and how is the by the time you know the pitch gets to the plate, how is it different? And so I think that's one thing that the article doesn't 
get at. And I think that's because it's hard. Um, you have to have a model that looks at that looks at like uh, essentially what you're you're looking for is like a, a, a Magnus model that looks at how do we expect the pitch to move based on active spin, velo, um, arm slot, whatever, and how does that actually move? And that picks up on the non-Magnus movement, which is usually, you know, seam shifted wake. Is there anything so far that you have? Because this is a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's like super interesting how we're still learning about all this stuff um and how they how they can kind of to some degree quantify strategy right or they can quantify like you know the more mental side of things because i think to some degree the tunneling kind of digs into the mental of it all which is something that i think up until now we haven't really been able to quantify um because it's kind of like what is what does it look like how does the batter perceive it um and ultimately, you know, I think one of the things that started with the analytic movement, and this is like a Moneyball thing, is that they tried to determine, okay, what is one thing that every player should do, right? And then everyone just started acquiring players that did the one thing. And that one thing has changed to, you know, over the course of the last couple of decades, but I don't think it's ever been, you know, until the last couple of years understood that like there isn't just one thing and that mm. you can't just teach every player to be good at just one thing you have to kind of lean into what they do and how to make it better and i think that's one thing that you know this article and and, and pitching in general has kind of tackled is you know it's not just throw super hard or throw a slider that that moves really well it's you know there are different traits that you can amplify that will make you a more effective pitcher you know like pen murphy and Paul Seawald, they're good in a different way than Matt Brash is good. And yeah. in that way, it's kind of hard to compare them, but like they're both very, they're all very good relievers, but the way they go about it is different. And you couldn't teach Seawald to do what Brash does, and you couldn't teach Brash to do what Seawald does, but that's okay, you know? Right. And I think that's one thing that, that this kind of dug into. And I think the one of the big concepts that they, I don't want to say introduced, uh, but, you know, put forth is, is when you think about Matt Brash and, and they do use him as an example, you have a player who, who throws a fastball um, and also throws two breaking pitches with a ton of sweep. So, like, you know, um, to start the year, his slider was was breaking was sweeping 18 inches uh it's dropped down to 14 because he's tightened it up a little bit um it's really hard because you're, you're looking at like as a hitter it's like okay is this a fastball it's like a flow chart you know and it's like if no i don't <laughs> swing right <laughs> um you don't you don't chase that and i think i think one thing that they probably should have talked about more in terms of all pitch types is that like, if you look at Patrick Corbin, um, if you had to guess a, like peak patch Corbin are, are his breaking pitches elite by stuff plus probably. Cause he didn't throw a very hard fastball. I'm pretty sure, um, based on what I've seen that the answer is actually no. 
And Eno's actually been on this for several years now. One thing that he's talked about with Patrick Corbin is Patrick Corbin, um, and maybe he started talking about this when uh, he got his hands on the Sub Plus model. Patrick Corbin actually just really commands the breaking stuff and throws it a lot. So I think really what a lot of this is, is if you're able to put a breaking pitch where you want to, uh, which is usually, you know, if you look at baseball savant, that's in the chase area of the attack zones. Hitters are going to probably chase. Um, it's too close. And it's far enough out of the zone that it's hard to make contact with. So I think what what they're missing here, and and I guess I should actually say, is they, they call it the miracle pitch, which Matt Brash has a lot of, you know, extreme deviation in his horizontal movement from his his fastball and his and his slider. So let's pull that up. By baseball savant, that's 14 inches of sweep from his with his sweep or uh, his slider sweeper and negative nine, which means arm side run with his fastball. So that's basically uh, 23, 24 inches of horizontal difference. That's a lot. And I think they're right in that that does make it easier for for hitters to lay off. What they say is add, you know, the miracle pitch here is the, the cutter. If you're able to split the difference between the two, that makes it harder for for hitters to go about that 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 flow chart and say like is it a fastball yes like swing if no lay off the cutter allows you to 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 complicate that and so i think i think they're right and that's a lot really of what i've been talking about lately is in writing about a ton of sinkers is it is kind of a, a miracle pitch of its own sort where Robbie Ray, like you add the sinker and now it's like, okay, well I can't just sit fastball and spit on the, the slider. I have to look for the sinker now that's tunneling off it. George Kirby's using it a little different now, but um, it's adding that like more complexity to, uh, to this and so essentially i think they're right i think that that's pretty much always the case is you you should you know like shane bieber uh he kind of broke out because he added the cutter you know he used the slider kind of out of the zone he spiked the the curveball and then he added the cutter that he's throwing in the zone so hitters couldn't just spit on it uh but also shane bieber commands his breakers with you know above average or elite command um that's what we're leaving out of this is that uh yeah you should want to to uh what was the verbiage i used uh, split the difference uh whatever <laughs> um and give hitter something else to look at even if it's a an average or below average pitch or even like not good um and that's actually what i'm kind of writing about zach gallon that'll come uh, tuesday um but uh, I think what we're missing out on here is when we talk about Jordan Hicks, when we talk about Matt Brash, which are, I think, two of the focuses of the article, we're talking about two pitchers with below average command. So I think that matters more than than um, than the other stuff. Like you need to be able to, to throw your pitches where you want. If you can't, 
you know, what happened to Matt Brash against the Astros and a second start happens. Like you walk five hitters, six hitters. So I, I guess that I don't know if this sounds like a negative, um, uh, you know, take on the article because I think it's really interesting stuff. And I think my, um, uh, my perception of what the reception <laughs> has been of, um, from the BP staff is that they're really glad that a, these things are be- being challenged and, and B that things, new things are being introduced. So I think this is a, a um, I'm, I'm glad that it was raised and, and that I guess the analytics community can continue to, to sharpen, um, this article, but overall really strong work, really interesting concepts. Um, Matt Brash, last thing I'll say, uh, if you're adding a cutter, you're somewhat likely to fuck up your fastball. Uh, I think that's what happened with Chris Paddock. I'm trying to remember, but you know, when you're, when you're throwing a cutter, the, um, you know, the action of like your wrist is, is different. I think you're more likely to cut your fastball. And if you're cutting your fastball, that's not good. Unless you really cut your fastball and turn it into a Corbin Burns uh, uh, cutter. Which isn't. Like, no one else throws one of those. No starters throw that. So this is a really, really, yeah, fascinating um, article. And I, I, um, (laughs) it was Meow Mix that asked about it. Um, I hope... I hope I, you know, I obviously didn't go pitch by pitch and and um, and talk about the article, but I, I hope that, you know, we covered it well enough. Um, I guess the last part was applications to player development. Maybe we can talk about that um, with Janice in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Janice Grillo. Um, But I don't want to make this episode too long. So, okay. Uh, any any parting thoughts on that? I was I was just going to ask you if you have any parting thoughts in general because I know the the well where we are right now the finale against Cleveland is about to start. Um, so if you have hey. any final thoughts here about what we've been talking about so far, um, I don't know. I I, I guess what I'll say, well, they haven't faced particularly great pitching. Um, it's encouraging though that they're they're beating the Guardians. So yeah, it's also really fucking annoying that nobody in the race will lose a game. Nobody in the AL wildcard race. This is very annoying. <laughs> um, but no, I don't. I don't think anything else. Um, yeah, I'm excited to have Ate Janice on though. It'll Hell be good. yeah! Yeah, yeah. talk some White Sox baseball. So that'll be a good time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well i'm anders and you can find me on twitter at anders jorstad uh you can find pat our wonderful guest that we had at tangible underscore uno uh you can find michael on twitter at underscore kuya mikey and you can also find evan at evan james audio you can find the podcast on itunes stitcher apple podcast spot apple podcast spotify or wherever <laughs> else you get your podcasts and additionally you can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash neversunnyinseattle. Uh, we'll also have our Discord link in the description so you can join our conversation and uh, give us some mailbag questions that we'll answer later. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and go Mariners. <laughs>